and welcome back to another episode of the podcast with me, your host, Phil Howe. I'm the Training and Resources Manager for Scripture Union Northern Ireland, and if you've been listening to Season 3, you'll know we're working our way through the online sessions we did called Times Like These, and you can still catch up on these through our Facebook page and YouTube channel. In this session, we're thinking all that we've been learning in this cultural moment. So much changed in 2020, and it seems so much is changing on a regular basis, but it's important to stop and think, what has God been doing in this time? What is God teaching us in times like these? How could this impact and shape the future? We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to Times Like These, the online sessions made by Scripture Union NI. My name is Phil Howe and I am the Training and Resources Manager for SU here in Northern Ireland. In today's session, we're thinking about this cultural moment and specifically, what are we learning in this cultural moment? Uh, we want to consider what God is teaching us in times like this. I know from my own learning that language is helpful and that instead of talking about a post-COVID world, it could be more helpful to talk about a plus-COVID world. And that might be helpful in terms of our mind, mind shift and, and thinking about planning, posture, perspective. And I mentioned planning there. And in these times, it seems like plans are useless but planning is indispensable as we have so many what if conversations and some things that will never see the light of day because it seems that things are changing so fast and the future is so uncertain. You see, our immediate future has always been unknown. It's always been uncertain, but this pandemic seems to put that right in our face. All our life is unknown and we think that the feeling of certainty and knowing is a good thing, but in reality, it's an illusion and we're forced to, to see the real picture through this. But there is hope. Even as we think about other significant moments in history, Whenever we think about 9-11, people still got on airplanes afterwards. And so maybe in the words of Bear Grylls, we need to adapt, improvise, and overcome. And so we need to be wise. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and all will be given to him. Coming back to language, 2020 seems to have taken a bit of a, a hit. And we can't seem to wait until 2020 is, is out of the road. Um, but as we face this new reality, we, we need to understand that COVID's not lurking around and then once midnight hits on December 31st, we'll hear, ah, my time is up. Uh, we seem to be living in this limbo land. It's a bit like the time between Christmas and New Year, uh, where we don't really know what day it is. We don't really know what we're supposed to be doing, uh, but we do know that a time's coming whenever it'll, it'll all work itself out. It actually turns out that the time between New Year's and Christmas has been the, the new limbo land. And there's a hunger to go back to the new normal, whatever normal is. We want to get on with things. We hope for better, which is a picture of the Christian life, isn't it? To steal biblical themes, it seems that we're living in this now, but not yet. And connecting with wisdom, Proverbs 16, 9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. How we get through this is by asking God for daily bread, but also realizing the big picture. We keep the big picture in mind, but realizing the Lord establishes our steps. Our steps can be small. They're not giant leaps. And it's one step at a time as we keep our course on mind. And there's a mixture of beauty and brokenness in how we operate. We, we see the gift of technology and yet even the reality for young people that we serve that we can't live on the internet all the time, that face-to-face -face connection and contact is so special and so significant. So those are some of my ramblings, but you may be pleased to hear that my learning is not the focus of this session. I'm delighted to welcome Mel Lacey. Uh, Mel has a unique contribution to make from a UK and Ireland perspective because of her background, experience, passion. And so it's so good to have you, Mel. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, and I know for me personally, you've been such a, a big help and a great voice uh, in this time. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself, background, what you do uh, and how you ended up there? Yeah. Um, thanks, Phil. Really great to be with you. Um, 
I am working for an organization called Growing Young Disciples, which is a pretty new organization. Um, but I, this is my 20th year in full-time ministry. Um, you can tell from my accent that I don't come from England uh, or Northern Ireland, although lots of people think I do come from Northern Ireland. Um, I come from Dublin and was born and raised there. And when I was about 22, I moved to Bangor in Northern Ireland to serve in my first ministry role um, in a Church of Ireland church there. Then I served in a mission agency in Northern Ireland as well before moving to the UK um England to do um youth and kids work in the local church and then from there I went to a bible college where I was the director of youth and children's ministry training for 11 years before starting to work for growing young disciples so I've done lots of stuff um in ministry but particularly focused on youth and children's ministry in the last kind of 15 years I've also overseen some of the kids and youth work at the big festivals here in England. Um, so I'm pretty passionate about kids and youth ministry. Um, I do youth and kids ministry in my local church as well. Um, so my whole life is is given over to helping the next generation to know Jesus. And that's why it's so great to have you here. Uh, can you just tell us a wee bit more about like what is Growing Young Disciples? You said it's quite new and just tell us a wee bit about your role within it. Yeah, sure. Well, in England, there's been a conference that's happened for kind of 16 or 17 years that was run by, um, originally it came out of a publishing company, um, and then it moved into being run by a group of friends, and it was lastly known as Growing Young Disciples. Um, and wonderfully, it grew so big that we eventually had to think about doing something slightly more significant with it, or, or finishing it because we couldn't just run it as volunteers ourselves. And so we were at a crossroads where we thought, is it is it worth, is it viable to make this into a, a more significant organisation that doesn't just support youth and kids workers for those four days that we're together at the conference every year, but supports youth and kids workers and families workers and parents all year round. And so probably about two and a half years ago now, we took the decision to launch Growing Young Disciples uh, officially as a charity. Um, and I was then invited to become the the first director of Growing Young Disciples. And so um, I basically spend my life um, talking to youth kids, families, workers, doing lots of training, um, supporting parents. In non-COVID times, I'm driving around and traveling lots to speak and to train um, from local churches to Bible colleges. Um, in COVID times, I'm spending most of my time on Zoom, but still doing the same training, equipping, resourcing and advising um, anyone and everyone who's just passionate about helping children love and live for Jesus. And if people want to know more about that, is there places where they can go? Uh, yes, uh, growingyoungdisciples.org.uk. We also have a Growing Young Disciples discussion forum on uh, Facebook. That was proving really valuable, I think. Um, lots of people are getting lots out of that, Enjoy, enjoying good conversations, building relationships, praying for one another and resourcing one another through that. So we've got a lovely community, which um, comes together every year at the conference anyway, but we're now creating more of a year-round feel of loving and supporting each other together. There. Yeah, and I've been to the conference and I'm on that, that group and it is so helpful. Um, so thank you for your, your work behind the scenes to make that happen. Um, Mel, we're thinking about this cultural moment. Take us on a bit of a journey. Um, like I've been involved in some of your training where you kind of paint the landscape that young people are growing up in. Um, what have you seen change kind of pre-lockdown, during lockdown and, and kind of as we start to come out the other side possibly? Uh, for example, I, I know before you've mentioned about 
Um, security seems like a big deal for the younger generation because they haven't known a time since before 9-11 and there's a sense of fear. And I know I've mentioned before at the start there about this idea of language is important whenever we talk about discipleship and following Jesus. And it seems that young people don't really like talking about risk, but it is costly to follow Jesus. So how, how do we wrestle with that type of language or will it always be hard to, to break through, particularly because of, of what we're facing right now? Yeah, there's a few things, Phil. I think this generation, which is known as Gen Z, so basically the four to 18 year olds that we're caring for are Generation Z. And one of the character traits that's emerging about them is that they are risk adverse and they are concerned very much for personal safety and security, as you've mentioned. Um, they are a generation that's lived, as you said, post 9-11, post 7-7, with the threat of terrorism and violence very much real in their lives. Um, and also they're concerned about financial security as well. So essentially um, it's quite introspective worldly security that they're concerned about. That's been very clear in Gen Z anyway, um, up until COVID. And I think one of the things, it's still quite early in terms of research as we emerge from COVID, but one of the things that's undoubtedly going to be exasperated um, by the pandemic is this need for safety and security. Um, so we already see Gen Zers, the top level of Gen Z being kind of not, not really up for going out. They're not kind of clubbing or partying um, in the way that uh, previous generations may have done. And I think we'll see probably even more of that going forward. Um, so Gen Zs being quite restricted to home, um, to comfortable and safe surroundings. But in a bigger way, just being really concerned to provide for themselves and in the future, any family that they may have in terms of safety and security. Um, so that could be uh, in jobs, in career aspirations, in qualifications, in money, whatever it might be. So I think one of the things we're going to see coming out of this is um, these young people who above all want to know what safety is. Now, I think wonderfully, um, as Christians, we obviously have the answer to that because we know, and in fact, the pandemic is showing us that nothing earthly can provide us with that safety. So it's kind of ironic that um, that's what the pandemic is going to force our young people into looking for more safety and security, whilst all the time it's illustrating that, as you said, we don't know what tomorrow will hold. Um, everything is being stripped away that we've put our trust in for security. And so I think one of the things we can do wonderfully is point to what it means to be safe and secure in Christ. Um, my anxiety about saying that is that sometimes we're quite platitudinal in teaching those kind of doctrinal truths to our young people. And um, we may say to them, oh, just be just be safe in Christ. You know that if you're in Christ, you've nothing to fear. But then they're looking around and they're seeing their families panicking. They're seeing the world panicking. They're not really seeing tangible examples of that doctrine lived out. And so I think for those of us who lead and who have young people in our homes, the challenge is actually going to be as much for us as for them in embodying some of these doctrines that we say we believe. So if we say we believe that ultimately security and safety is only found in Christ, when the rubber hits the road, what does that look like? Um, so I think that's one big thing that we're going to be aware of. 
On the other hand, we're seeing that Gen Z, particularly some stratas of Gen Z, are concerned to be world changers and world shapers. And we've seen that clearly in Greta Thunberg, for example. Um, and I, I'm sure that this experience, this lived experience of this year, is going to produce some pretty amazing young people who are driven by that passion to change the world. And, and so I think we need to watch out for that and nurture that. And I guess the, the challenge for us again is how do we capture those young people's hearts for Christ? And then whatever profession they go into, however they flourish, their world changing would be focused on him. Um, and so that if they go on to be uh, profess professors um, of medicine, for example, because they've been struck by that need through the pandemic, that they do that in the way that's honouring to Christ. But also that they are motivated again, I think, for for sharing the hope of Jesus, Jesus with others. So they've lived through this period where where hope has become a bit of a catchphrase, hasn't it? We hope that we'll be out of lockdown in a few weeks time. We hope that we'll be able to have Christmas. The vaccine is the new hope uh, for the world. But actually, again, that's not our ultimate hope. Uh, and so I pray and hope that, hope that um, kids will um, be able to share that hope passionately. Um, having yeah, experienced what it looks like to have earthly security removed. And do you see, I mean, as I hear you talk, it seems like what young people were like, as you say, it's just been magnified a wee bit rather than lots and lots changing. It's just it's just highlighting what the issues are. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm not, it's, it's hard to see at the moment, I think, what if there will be any massive directional changes in how Generation Z were moving and maturing. I think what we're just going to see is actually some of the trends exasperated. Um, on the other hand, they, you know, they were longing for authentic life and relationships. And I think wonderfully, um, the pandemic has actually forced that longing, which is a good longing because we're made uh, in God's image to be relational. Um, so we are made for friendship and intimacy. And I think what lots of us have found, those of us who work in kids and youth ministry is that even when all the, the kind of surplus stuff, the games, the fun, the food has been removed from our youth and kids ministry. Actually, they still want to be there because they're concerned about their relationships. And so I wonder if that's really helpful that we just focus in now on, let's um, nurture these relationships. Let's allow them to relate to one another and to our church families well. So I think positively, some of the, the traits will be um, beautifully enhanced as we come out of this. And again, the call for authentic living. Um, I think they're kind of sick of the fakeness of the cyber world. And, and they're, although caught up in much of it, also very aware of the, the fickle nature of it. And so what does it look like to be authentic, to share our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our anxieties, but always to point them to Jesus in terms of the answer to our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our anxieties. And so it's a challenge for us as leaders and parents and church family members to really step out and to, to share our faith, not just to assume that as they look at us, they're seeing it, but they need to hear it. Um, they need to hear us talking about Jesus. They need to see us living courageously for him. Um, and I think that will be brilliant for the, the church going forward as well. 
You've mentioned there about uh, social media playing its part. Obviously, we want authenticity. Uh, and yet, now for me, at my age, I can separate out my kind of Facebook life and Insta life and my own life. Whereas for the younger generation, it's kind of just all encompassing. It's very hard for them to separate that out. Um, so how do they, especially in these times when there's probably more time on social media, where, where are we seeing that kind of that wrestle for authenticity then? You know, you've got the likes of TikTok and Instagram and uh, fake Instagram accounts and stuff. How, how do they... How do we encourage young Christians to, to still be authentic? Yeah, that's a great question. I think like with the, um, particularly TikTok, for example, we're seeing the trends are that it's much more younger tweens and teens who are engaged with that. And then the older ones are kind of not interested. Instagram, we're still seeing lots of general usage of that amongst young people. Um in one way, I think part of the the challenge will be to help them to relate to each other well in that in that kind of relational way, and to be able to challenge, rebuke, encourage, so to call one another out. Essentially, um, I think we often um, forget that aspect of Christian life that we're to encourage, but we're also to rebuke and challenge, and that there is a place for brotherly and sisterly Christian love to say, "Hang on a second, I saw you post that picture," or "I know." that you have the Finsta and the Rinsta, um, like what's going on? How does that show Jesus? Is that consistent with who we are? Um, and also then just challenging one another to be authentic themselves. So not to present that fake profile or the, you know, the selfie kind of um, world. I think one of the things that's really interesting is actually um, we're seeing that young people are really reluctant to go on Zoom um, or any kind of video platform where they have to look at themselves um, because they're so used to the selfie world where they can alter, they can filter, they can uh, cause their appearance to look a certain way. And actually they're not loving looking at the stark reality of themselves. And that's pretty sad. Um, and so we want to help them think about who they are, what they're like as those who are made in the image and likeness of God. Um, and those who, if they're in Christ, are being remade into that image and likeness and to see the inherent beauty and worth in all that. Um, so I think there's loads of challenges for us to help them think through authenticity in a, a social media world. And just even challenges about how they're using their time um, because young people are always being formed. They're either being formed by the world or the word. Um, and so the more time they're spending on social media, they are being formed and informed by something. And so we then have to be able to step into that. I think we have to help them to understand those worlds, the Instagram world, the TikTok world, you know, the Twitter world, if they're on that, the Snapchat world, um, help them to, to see the good and the beautiful and, and the true bits about it, what we might describe as the echoes of Eden, but also the bits that are harmful that might skew their thinking, that might impact themselves and other people in the long run. You've mentioned that we're on Zoom now and it is slightly awkward because you naturally do start looking at your own screen. It's a, yeah. Maybe I'm just confessing too much, but it's just, it's, it is weird that you do that. Because um, we do kind of have that uh, that weirdness about it. And also, yeah. you mentioned there just in passing about the Finsta and the Rinsta. Would you like to explain that for people here? Maybe going, what on earth is that? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so we know that lots of young people actually have two Instagram accounts. Um, they're known as the Finster and the Rinster. Um, so the Finster is the fake Instagram account and the Rinster is the real Instagram account. Um, so essentially a young person will set up the two accounts and they're intended for two different audiences. Um, so one is presenting kind of their everyday nitty gritty lives and that's to their friends and kind of that's what they'll cultivate their online image. And then the other, um, the fake one is is essentially for parents church family members, godparents, whatever, to show a kind of a much more um, controlled and sanitized uh, perspective of their life, if you like. And I think our young people are schooled well in living duplicitously. So having two faces to present to the world, which is a, a real challenge again in, in the cry for authenticity. Um, how do we help them not to do that, to present themselves in all of their fullness um, as they have been made by God to the world and to not control and manipulate essentially how other people see them and interact with them online. Uh, we're talking a lot about Gen Z and probably whenever we talk about social media, it's more about teens. Is there anything specific to children at this time that you're kind of picking up on? Um, so certainly they're spending a lot more time online as well. We are seeing lots of kids kind of sadly on social media when they definitely shouldn't be in terms of age rating. So I think we shouldn't be naive and think, you know, kids aren't coming on to the different platforms until the age ratings allow them. Um, even if they're on a parent or a sibling's kind of phone or whatever they are looking at lots of stuff online um so we do need to be aware of that again particularly tiktok actually lots of younger kids watching and engaging themselves in kind of the tiktok phenomenon um so just help them to understand that and and this whole quest for uh fame and notoriety and to go viral um i think lots of our younger children actually have that ambition um to make something of themselves in the cyber world i think we are still seeing anxiety and uh, security issues in younger children um uh, lots of that is actually related to how parents are interacting with the pandemic. Um, and so children are learning a lot from their parents' response to what's going on in the world, rather than necessarily cultivating their own feelings. Um, but I think we will again see this younger generation grow up as ones who have been shaped uh, by the pandemic. You know, our children have had a year where they haven't been able to hug anybody apart from their parents, essentially, where they've had to stand two metres away from anybody. And I think it actually will impact how they how they relate to people going forward. Um, for lots of our children as well, this time is formative in terms of their worldview, how they look at the world. We know that a child's worldview is essentially formed by the age that they're 11. And so for all of our kids, there are specific aspects of learning that should be going on at this time. So for whatever developmental stage they are at, the COVID crisis will have impacted some of their learning and development. Um, they haven't been at church for most of the year. They've just interacted on screen. That will have 
pretty significant ramifications for our ecclesiology, um, what we believe about church, what they believe about church, how they interact with the church family. Um, it will impact our intergenerational nature of church. So how they relate to those older and younger to them at church. Um, so I think we will see loads of things coming out of this. Um, the good thing for our, our children and young people is that because school started again, they have a good degree of normality. Mm -hmm. um, so their regular pattern of life and the days have been slightly more restored. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're fully back to kind of thinking about life in normal ways. And you said at the beginning, Phil, this is the new normal. Um, and I think... I actually think in God's kindness and, and great mercy, there's so much that we can learn through the pandemic that as we emerge, it will actually impact us for the good um, in our lives, in our church family lives and in the lives of our kids and young people. Yeah, and I, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because we talk about wanting to go back to normal, but I remember seeing uh, someone share, well, what is it from normal that you'd like to continue with rather than just going back to what we think we would we would want? Um, and so what are the positives that we can take from this? Uh, and I know this has been a it's been a real challenge as well for the for the church because it's it's how do we infiltrate those spaces if young people are, are online more, but also has those challenges, doesn't it, of actually how are we communicating now with our young people and that idea of should we be using Snapchat to, to tell them about, I mean, I don't see how you'd use TikTok other than you've come along and <laughs> I, mean, I think that would work, but um, yeah, how, how do we infiltrate that world um, for the good? Um, you, you're kind of, you're leaning towards this already, but there's um, there's two other groups impacted uh, during this cultural moment, families and the local church. Is there anything that you want to speak into in relation to, to what you've seen? I know it's your job. I mean, as you say, you usually travel, but you interact with so many different churches. I know that you invest in, in families, particularly whenever um, you're at Oak Hill. But uh, what, what have you been learning or the biggest needs at this time as we think about families and the local church? Yeah, um, well, I think what happened very quickly was that the discipleship of children was forced pretty dramatically back to be located in the context of the family. Before that, we probably thought, you know, families will do a little bit, but the church is the main place where children are discipled. You know, we have the paid professionals there, the youth worker, the kids worker, and um, let them crack on with it. And obviously that was removed pretty quickly and dramatically. Um, I do think undoubtedly that one of the benefits that we have to see of the pandemic is family time restored. And um, one of the things about Gen Z that was, um, I think, obvious to certain aspects of that generation is that they were moving away from their families in certain ways. Um, and, and now uh, families are probably stronger than they've ever been for a long time. And that's not saying that family life has been smooth for everyone over the last eight or nine months. Um, I know it has been fraught with many challenges from many families. But nevertheless, there has been a much greater concentration of family time than we've seen in you know decades. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, we've got to encourage and nurture families together um, so rather than thinking about going back to life before where we kind of take the kids and we put them all in their programs and we separate the adults from the children I think a challenge for us going forward will be how do we think about church life intergenerationally how do we resource parents to 
to keep engaging with their children. So not to allow them, you know, the day we switch back to normal to go, okay, back hand back over to the church, you know, reins are handing back to you firmly. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm very aware of is that we have very high expectations on parents, particularly in terms of how they engage with their children. But lots of parents just don't know how to do any kind of discipleship with their kids or young people at home. Probably slightly easier with younger children. And then it gets increasingly harder as kids grow into teenagers. So I'd love for youth kids, families, workers, pastors, rectors, ministers to be thinking about how best to resource parents and to nurture family life in a way that allows them to tr- thrive spiritually. Um, so yeah. I think that... Whenever we talk about family devotions, uh, I mean, what I've probably seen is that there's loads of stuff for adults and children, like kind of, you know, primary school age. But there's not a lot of resources out there whenever it comes to actually adults and, and teens. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It, the basically the teenage publishing market is a is a bit depleted anyway in christian terms there's not loads out there um yeah and i think we expect people to know what to do it's very kind of repetitive so we've no creativity we need to people help people to think through all of this so what does it look like you know i calculated last week i think that you know if parents are um discipling children in their home for kind of 18 20 22 years you know, that's thousands of family devotions that they need to do. And if we're just pushing like one book at them or one style, that is going to get boring and tired. Um, and so we need to up our game and thinking about this whole area um, and also just what's expected of, of people. As much as that family worship or family devotional time is is wonderful, Everyday moments, Deuteronomy 6, you know, talks about speaking of the things of God when we walk, when we uh, talk, when we sit, when we stand. And actually, that's the key, I think, to to the discipleship and worldview building of children to help them see the world through the word is just take every moment as teachable and be speaking about the things of God. But lots of our parents need help in doing that. Um, And the expectation is high and I think the resourcing is low. Um, so that would be a great thing for us to focus on as we come out of the pandemic to nurture families well together. And when, and, we, and when, we, when we say resourcing parents, it's not just resourcing them as in here, here's the resource here, you know, but it's actually helping them think through, like you just said there, the opportunities where they're able to speak up. What are the questions that they can ask? How do you just open up a Bible and, and go through a book? And, and how do you get stuff out of that without needing someone to regurgitate something or, or, or have a plan to follow? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as much as um, uh, resourcing, we need to teach and train adults as well and give them the skills um, and and relieve them of some of the pressure that they're feeling that it has to be kind of picture perfect what they do but just to crack on um, and use yeah the moments they can to teach about the Lord Jesus sorry I ended up there were you going to say something else um I think I was going to say yeah about kind of just family life and church life then one of the things that we probably do in church life is that we often compete um so we'll kind of run kids youth and then adult stuff at the same time and so everyone's segregated they're popped into their category their silo and we keep each category apart I think we can begin to think more about what intergenerational church looks like um so rather than having heavily programmatic 
um, ministry um, methodologies, maybe to think about uh, how do we do this in a way that nurtures the whole church family, so including the older people, the widowers, the single people, um, and what does it look like to have every generation represented in a much more significant way in our church family life, so not just in our kind of services on a Sunday, but when we have a mission supper, when we have a weekend away, when we have our prayer meetings, you know, we often call our our um, prayer meetings at church our church family prayer meetings but actually we hold them at a time when probably 50% of the family is already in bed mm-hmm. um, so you know just to be challenged to think about um, supporting the families as we emerge from this and I think you know lots of the patterns of, of life and ministry that have been established pre-COVID are up for grabs now and um, we can do things differently. Yeah. Uh, and I think it would be remiss of us to just transition back to the way we've always done things. I think in kids and youth ministry and g- generally maybe in church ministry, we're often pragmatists. So we do things a certain way because we think they work. Um, and what this pause is allowing us to do is to reflect biblically and think, well, actually, are our methods and our pragmatic ways um, glorifying to God? Uh, are they consistent with his word? Are there things that we could change in a way that the pandemic is allowing us to do, which ordinarily could have been pretty tricky because we don't like change in church either? Um, so, you know, I, I, I think this is God's gift to us again, um, as you know, I know in in Northern Ireland, you've used the term kind of circuit breaker um, yeah. uh, for the, the vaccine or for the uh, pandemic. I think this is a circuit breaker for the church as well. Um, you know, to to break down maybe things that we haven't done as as consistently with scripture as we might have done, and to reflect on our our ways that might have been more pragmatic than theological. Um, so great opportunities for us, I think. Yeah, and I know for me and my own church, you know, it's been great that we're seeing more input from from the whole church. It's the the priesthood of all believers. Um, and this idea there's there's no junior Holy Spirit and where everyone has a chance to be able to speak in. So um it's been lovely to see and, and hopefully something that, that does continue. Yeah. Um Mel, I'm gonna turn you into mystic mail for a second, okay? And <laughs> uh, help us see into the future. What do we need to learn and carry with us? Like what what do you see as the landscape for children's and youth ministry over say the next five years through the impact of this? I know some of this we're kind of speculating, um, but but what do you see as you've been as you've been chatting, as you see kind of where we've come from, where we're, where we're heading, um, what do you think? Um, one of the things we know, particularly about youth ministry, is what we do in youth ministry often emerges in the adult church about 15 years later, as youth become adult members, uh, vestry members, elders, you know, leaders. So we must realise that what we do now um, is going to critically impact the church of the future. So the young people are the church of now, but they're the leaders of the church of the future. Um, So I do think we need to think carefully and seriously about how we emerge from this. Um, I think a number of things that I'm aware of that kind of we were struggling with anyway pre-pandemic, and maybe this is a great opportunity for us to to address so we 
basically have poor ecclesiology. So young people and children who don't understand church and don't know what church is, why they're part of church and, and what it looks like to belong to church. So I think one of the great things we could focus on going forward is, is that category of ecclesiology. So helping young people to know and to love and to understand what it means to be part of God's church. Um, I think discipleship is going to be massive. And I think certainly going forward, that is going to be the focus of our of our youth ministry because the pandemic is stopping us from doing other stuff, whether that's outreach or evangelism um, or kind of social, you know, just social stuff with our young people. That's all been kind of choked at the moment. So I think we need to think about what robust discipleship looks like. I'm pretty convinced that this is one of the hardest times for young people to be alive. It's very complex, very confusing. It's also hard for a hard time for parents. Mm. Um, and so I think um, to engage really well with the issues that are pressing in on our young people and children and to help them understand them. So in some ways that's going to require us as the workers to skill ourselves up as well um, to know what we're talking about, what we're dealing with and how to help them. Um, and I think with our young people, um, they're consistently saying they want more. Um, so this, they are this generation who are uh, quite serious. Um, they're concerned about the world. They want to impact the world. And, you know, in uh, some recent Church of England surveys, young people said the reason why they wander away from the church is because they're not taken seriously enough. Mm. They want to know the answers to the big life questions, to the ethical debates and discussions. And they say, we just want to entertain them. Um, so I think in, in terms of our discipleship, let's let's think about that. What does it really look like to help them engage with you know, a complex world as well, um, and to bring the issues that are out there um, to bear on their lives here and now. Essentially, we want to help them to prepare to leave well, um, so that when they become adult members of a local church, whether that's, you know, when they go to their first job or to uni or wherever it might be, that they're able to hit the ground running and stand for Jesus. Um, so I think there are two things, um, uh, ecclesiology, discipleship. I think evangelism is, uh, you know, a real struggle at the moment for everybody, but particularly in kids and youth ministry, because what we've seen is our core kids have hung around, but those kids on the periphery that we had contact with have kind of disappeared. Um, and again, I think this is a great opportunity for us to think about how we do evangelism amongst young people and kids. We've often done what's described as a funnel model where we just get as many kids and young people in and hopefully filter them down into the church eventually. We just can't do that now. And I think we need to think about a reverse evangelistic strategy. So thinking about our own children and young people. So, you know, my, my group of um, uh, 10 to 13 year olds, you know, if there's 15 of them, they all have at least five significant contacts during the day in school and going forward in kind of clubs and stuff like that. I want to focus now on equipping my 15 young people to be evangelists to their friends and instead of just training them to be inviters of others, so say bring your friend to this event and I'll tell them about Jesus, I want to say to them you need to tell them about Jesus. I'll help you, I'll equip you, I'll train you 
but please, please tell your friends who are rushing to an eternity apart from him about Jesus. Yeah, we need to move away from that idea of saying, where is everybody, which offends everybody in the room. And <laughs> say, you're, you're here and move away from this idea, you know, to, to entertain might fill a building, but actually the disciple will change the world. So, you know, how, how do we move to, to that mindset? Yeah. And, and I think we have become pretty um, introspective and a bit self-concerned during the pandemic. So we'll be concerned about ourselves, our safety, our family, um, whatever we're missing. But actually, you know, time is marching on. History is moving on. God is still delaying the return of Jesus because he longs to build his church and a people for himself for eternity. And in his kindness, he's including us in that. And so, you know, the evangelistic task hasn't um, diminished, but it it maybe is changing in terms of how we do it. Uh, and so I think that's one of the areas we're going to have to adapt to really quickly to help to skill up our, our kids and young people to be able to share the gospel effectively themselves and, and their lives in a way that shows the beauty of the gospel. Um, so help us help us to pray uh, at this time. Um, how, how, what should we be praying? Uh, and even if you want to share even how can we be praying for you and growing young disciples? Thanks, Phil. Um, this is a big one, isn't it? I could give you a list as long as my arm, probably. Um, I, I think we need to pray very much for our young people that are feeling insecure, anxious, um, and that particularly will probably emerge in some ways in mental health issues. We haven't touched much on that, but certainly there's a prediction that the already kind of epidemic level of mental health issues amongst young people is only going to increase. So we want to pray into that very much. Um, and we want to pray that our kids and young people know how and where to find safety and security, but also that we and others might model that to them well. Um, and I think that's got to be an ongoing prayerful endeavor. Um, I think we need to be praying very much for families, for the protection of families and the equipping of families as we go forward. And I think um, like a very legitimate prayer is for the rebuilding of our work amongst children and young people. I think lots of people are feeling so discouraged because it looks like it's been decimated, but that God would help the rebuilding, but would also encourage his his people who are working in his harvest field that actually our job is is simply to be faithful and to discharge the duties that he has given us as best we can because we know uh, Jesus has said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail and that's our hope that's his promise and that's what should motivate us day by day um, a pandemic is not going to stop that it hasn't in the past it won't in 2020 and that is joyful um, so to press on knowing that our confidence is in him um, that God is calling men and women and boys and girls um, to faith. We, we've seen over the course of the pandemic, lots of people coming to faith. But in Iran, for example, just, um, you know, reports of millions of Christians in a, a closed country. Um, and so there is there's wonderful evidence of God at work uh, across um, his world. And so let's go forward in that knowledge joyfully um, that 
you know, God's not stopped in his tracks. The mission of the church hasn't stopped. Um, and numbers aren't everything, um, despite what your boss may say or <laughs> or the people putting pressure on you. Um, but disciples' hearts are. Uh, and so let's focus in well and prayerfully focused in well on the young people and kids that we have in our care. Uh, for going in, for going in disciples, yep. um, we're new, uh, we're young, we're developing our ministry. Um, just love you to pray that if it is of God, it would be encouraged and um, it would grow. And yeah, that we would be useful to the local church. Um, we're all about supporting the local church so that we would be able to do that well. Well, you've definitely been an encouragement now and uh, you've definitely been helpful in the past. So hopefully that can continue. Uh, so just thank you, Mel, for, for your time. If you're watching or listening and uh, you have some learning that you'd like to share, uh, let us know in the comment section. Or if there's something in particular that, that Mel's been talking about that stood out to you, feel free to comment then as well. Um, so thank you so much, Mel. Thank you for, for you guys for, for watching and listening. Hopefully you have been blessed, encouraged, challenged uh, as and where appropriate. And to catch up on all our other online sessions, feel free to check out our Facebook video playlist, our YouTube channel or our podcast. God bless. Thanks so much for listening. Next time we're thinking about the summer. So check it out on the Scripture Union Northern Ireland podcast. God bless.